Hey, this is the NRR Podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host. And today I'm joined by Azad Balabanian. Hi, Azad. How are you today, sir? Hello. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you, Chris? I, uh, I'm, I'm surviving, um, like a lot of people out there. Um, but, you know, as long as I have my eyes, my ears, my mouth that keeps running, and my brain that semi-functions, I, I think I can, I, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Um, yeah, I've been seeing the U.S. is uh, in a little bit of a different state with Corona than than over here in Berlin. Yes. Uh, <laughs> holy fuck! It is insane out here. Um, and and frankly, you know, either either for me, either two things could happen. Well, I mean, more than two things could happen. But in my mind, uh, in a black and black and white world, um, either this stays with us um until i die (laughs) you know (laughs) like this is this is an endemic thing where it just becomes a fact of life or we find a vaccine people get vaccinated and then we have this massive massive sexual revolution pent up energy right now people have so much (laughs) Pent up energy, um, and so and so in those two black and white worlds, <laughs> I think that that uh, that could happen. These things could happen. Um, I always forget what sort of a podcast I'm coming on, and then I, when I come on yours, it's like, oh yeah, welcome <laughs> to the rabbit hole. <laughs> welcome to Enter VR. Yeah. yeah um, Is this our second or third time we've done a podcast together? I think it's our third. I, I'm. Third, sure it, it feels like. Yeah. It feels like it. You and for people that don't know, like, so I I, I host my own thing for the last couple of years <clears throat> called the Research VR Podcast, uh, which kind of so- focuses more on like the science and design of VR and AR. And before all of that started, the first time I was ever on a podcast was this podcast, back when I was still like a research assistant in college and. You and I had, I think, spoken through Twitter, and you're like, "That sounds cool, man. You should come on and like talk about it." And I was like, "That sounds amazing. Let's try that." And then since then, it, I was like, "Dude, this I should do like more things focused around that." And um, yeah, that was. I, well, I'm, I'm glad was you did. Thing. I'm glad you jumped on board. Yeah, podcasting is so liberating. Honestly, you mm-hmm. can you can express yourself. And you get to put out value for others, and you can sort of see yourself grow as you go along. And um, how, how are things at the Research VR podcast? By the way, everyone should go check that out. Amazing podcast. Um, to be honest, slow because I've had a full, a very filling full time job ever since I I uh, moved to Berlin and started working at Realities. Um, so we were, I mean, we were doing, a, we actually just re- recently reached 100 episodes after four years, which uh, I'm pretty happy about. But uh, yeah, some, some podcasts that takes, you know, 100 days to reach, uh, others it takes four years. <laughs> so that's where we are. But I think the beauty of podcasts is like, and in comparison to YouTube and or Instagram or you know, any sort of other posting like that, it's it ends up being much more evergreen content and like, you know, people listen to podcasts in a very different way than they would an Instagram post or a YouTube 
uh, posts. It's like they come back to it six months later, you know, like the, the I would look at the analytics of an episode and it would be, um, you know, there's people that are subscribed. Of course, they, they it gets downloaded within the first week or two. Like there's a big spike there. But then over the next six months, it's like has the same steady rate of people listening to something to even in some more popular episodes, like even more. So like I kind of have that in mind and. I wor- I try to worry less about like trying to be consistent with posting things, but just more like when I have something interesting to post with like typically their interviews with people, like then you know put it out there. It's okay if if, if there was like six months in between the, this episode and the last one. Um, I more think about the future, about people listening back to these things if they're interested about the the origins of some founder or some designer or some engineer, and and I happen to catch them right. Um, so I, I I have that in mind as I'm making these. You know, it's a not a, a a business of any sense. Like I don't even run sponsorships, and yeah, it's kind of it's what it is. The key is quality over quantity here. It's sure. it's really about making sure that like um, you find those conversations that are just gonna stick around in people's minds for a while. And uh, I'm glad I'm glad you have that uh, outlook on it. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you have something similar too, right? Like you, you, in fact, you don't even just release whenever you feel like it. it's more like you drop like a set of <laughs> episodes. I remember at least back in the day, it would be like multiple uh, episodes together. So I'll it's, experiment. It's... I'll experiment. You know, right now I'm going through uh, the last before the. This is the second episode I've done um, in a couple weeks, but before that, I took a seven month break. I mean, yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, I got hella sick, dude. I don't know if you... you I, I think you just saw me on the webcam, but I'm pretty skinny right now. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. I lost Damn, some weight, man. my friend. And um, I. this is... Uh, you know, if, if I look... Um, you ever seen that movie, The Machinist with Christian Bale? Where uh, he just <laughs> Jeez, went yeah. nuts? That's, yeah. That's, that's, I'm on that plane. I'm on that plane with that guy. Because I got some crazy GI issues that came out of nowhere in December last year. And wow. so uh, I had to sort of focus. You know, I'm just getting better. Um, and so now I'm better and here I am. But I got some work to do. I got to eat a lot of food. Uh, well, I'm still, yeah. I'm still on this yeah. uh, diet where I can only eat rice, chicken, mm. carrots, and spinach. For the past five months, holy fuck! Jeez. Um, you know, if, wow. this, if anything, if anything, this whole ordeal has proven to me that I can probably be on a spaceship to Mars and be six months <laughs> in a fucking spaceship, eat the same shit, not move, you know, not leave that, you know, that confined space, and still come out okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's because that's basically been my life. I've been I've been stuck in my apartment one because of the pandemic. Like if I get COVID right now, dude, I'll die. <laughs> my body is fucked. Uh, I'll show yeah, you a picture like later. Funny. Jesus yeah, Christ! I'll show you a picture of my like of my. You can see like the outline of my spine. It's crazy. Oh wow! Yeah, that's definitely um, the machinist sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my hopes are high, you know. I uh, yeah. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting better, you know. It, it it these kinds of experiences for me it makes you extremely grateful for the little things. 
Like、mm. being able to take a breath、mm. <sighs> without feeling pain in your chest is amazing. Oh my god, I feel so good. So, because、uh, <laughs> that's how that's how bad it got. Like I thought, I thought、really? I was gonna die. Yeah, I thought I was gonna die. You're in the hospital. I saw that. Like I was、um, in the ER for three times. I was in the ER because I just had these like. Imagine someone opening up your chest cavity and hitting you with a whip, and you're like, "What、wow. the fuck?" <laughs> like, yeah, like you never felt that before, and you're like, "I'm dying a heart attack. This is it. This is this." And I in my last fucking podcast with with、uh, Blair Renault and fucking. I'm just kidding. I love you, Blair.、Um, <laughs> I I、uh, I was really legitimately scared,、um, and and、uh, it made me so so grateful. For breathing, eating,、um, sleeping, uh, and uh, the last few months have been sort of my own Buddha journey, wherein I focused most of the day on meditation, eating rice porridge, <laughs> and、uh, and just de-stressing as much as I could because I had to like lower those stomach acids. It was,、uh, it was crazy. It was it was crazy, but I I feel better now than I did before, and I'm excited to have you on the show, and I'm just excited to、uh, keep doing podcasts about VR and all the other shit we end up talking about. I mean,、um, yeah, it's、uh, and if it wasn't for VR, honestly, and I'm conflicted here. I'm a little conflicted. I, I want to know. I want to get your thoughts on on this.、Um, mm-hmm. Has VR helped you through the pandemic, like in your <laughs> Through the pandemic,、hmm. and mind you, that's a very different story in Europe too. Like, I want to know. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It's it was different when it started, also, and it's very much different now. Has it helped me? So I guess yeah, we can. I'll, I'll come around to answering that because there's some kind of a story behind it.、Um, yeah, in the beginning, I look. I was fo- I was trying to follow this pretty closely, like even. Like there's a few people I follow on Twitter that were talking about this since the end of January, when pretty much Wuhan went into lockdown. They're like that was a strong signal that this is serious, and it's so serious that China, that you know China, their main like government goal is to is the economy, is to create money, and anything that prevents that from happening is like. If they're taking a,、uh, if they're making taking a step by like shutting down an economy of a city, that's like that's a pretty big signal that they're like, if we don't do this, we're gonna lose more money, so that we should lock things out.、Um, I remember seeing that, and I was like, huh, that's that's pretty crazy.、Uh, imagine if that happened here, no way. Or like, imagine if that we were literally joking about like, imagine if they tried to put. The U.S. into quarantine, like there'll be a bunch of like rednecks to be like, oh, you're not, you're not gonna tell me to stay in my house, like you know,、uh, or put on a mask, like, oh, wait, what is that? What's happening now?、Um, and then in February, like things were getting worse, and then suddenly Italy goes into lockdown.、Um, and I have a friend that lives there in southern Italy, and I kept calling him, and he was like, he was pretty miserable. <laughs> uh, he was just stuck with a friend. Thankfully, he had a friend、uh, to be stuck with, and he was like, "Dude, he's like, don't be, a, don't be 
surprised if this happens in Germany. He's like, try to get, go and be with your girlfriend. Like, don't get quarantined alone. So my girlfriend, a significant other, I should say, she lives in France. We're both from the U.S. originally, and she was recently had moved there um, for work. And like, first, there was the plan of her coming here before things get locked down. Um, and for a number of reasons, she couldn't kind of like make that decision to come fast enough. Like, basically, this one day, I called her in uh, the early or middle. Must have been early March, and. I was like, listen, the the cases here, like the number of cases have, has reached two thousand, three thousand, in Germany, and same in France. Like, there's going to be a quarantine. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised that there'll be a quarantine just in the next week. Uh, and that this was like crazy talk, right? Back then, like this was like we didn't even, you know, it's so hard to imagine that. Um, so I was like, we need to take steps and do this now. Like, we need to be by each other. Otherwise, we're gonna, I don't know how long we'll get stuck. Apart, apart, and so she couldn't make the decision. So I, <laughs> I made it. The next morning, I like boarded a plane and and got there. And then the next day, France locked its, uh, it announced its quarantine, shut its borders with Germany. And this was actually pretty unthinkable stuff because like Germany and France, the Shenzhen countries, like they're supposed to like the borders like this really. A very important thing since we're like World War Two that there's like an open border between the two countries. Anyway, that gets shut down, and so I was stuck there for two months with a laptop and a VR headset um, and a drone. <laughs> I had my Quest that like I had I literally packed like such a minimal amount for an undetermined amount of time, and I guess the Quest like that's a nice story for the Quest, and that it's like it it's small enough that it can fit into life essentials that you want to have with you for the next couple of months. And I know of course, I mean, beyond like just wanting to have VR with me, like I work in a VR company, so I need to, um, if I wanted to keep working remotely, uh, I was going to have to contribute and like have my quest with me to, to keep developing. Um, so the, I ended up doing a photogrammetry scan with my drone out of uh, the, uh, the the apartment's balcony. So I was basically holding the drone out of the balcony and then launching it with my my other hand, and then flying it out, and then like three D scanning the city, and uh, then landing it back into my hand while while fighting like these seagulls that hated it uh which scared the hell out of me because like i i only had one drone and with you know no repair uh capabilities like no none, none of that so i was like i don't want to lose this thing this is the only thing that's bringing me joy joy right now uh so i only flew it a, a very handful of times and i did the scan and then i had nothing to do like i had absolutely nothing to do because it was an unknown country and i had you know, apart from my significant other, it was just like we didn't see anyone. We were literally so in France. It was actually way worse than Germany in terms of its rules. Um, in February, in March, and April, you basically everyone was in quarantine. You could not be outside of your home without this pa- piece of paper that says exactly why you're outside, and you only had like one of three reasons that you had to pick. Whether one was uh, it was for your work. So you're an essential worker. You need, and you're going to work. Um, 
Second is you're getting groceries. And the third is you're doing like 30 minutes of exercise or an hour of exercise. We didn't have a printer at home. And so we had to handwrite these in French. And uh, it, that just like was a lot of effort to every time we wanted to do it. So we rarely did it. We only did it like once a month or sorry, once a week to go and get groceries. So that was, we were just inside for the first month, like solidly inside for the, for every single day. Um and so I played a little bit of VR, but the thing I, I liked doing more was like I wanted to develop um, like a Quest app. I wanted to see if I could do some remote VR development from a laptop. And because like my laptop is it's a MacBook, it can't do anything VR related. I don't want to install Unity on it. So I have TeamViewer into my home PC, which I'm on now, or my work PC, which uh, is much more powerful to do photogrammetry processing. And with TeamViewer, I was able to basically transfer like the drone captured data to the photogrammetry processing, um, import it into Unity. Uh, I had like a quest, uh, I had like a very bare bones quest app that I had made before just to kind of twist, test out what photogrammetry looks like, meshes look like. And, um, and I was just, instead of like, you can't play test live. So I had to just make a build every single time I wanted to change something, send it, send the file, install it on my quest. Sorry. Oh, you muted yourself. Is there is there a call? I think he's on a call. Oh no, it was just it was just uh, I was coughing. Oh okay. <laughs> um, I muted myself, so it's not in there. Um, Thanks for doing that. Um, Team Viewer. So yeah, that's impressive. You could do all, all that with Team Viewer. That's by the way, that's impressive. Just mm -hmm. check. I, I mean, it worked at like four FPS or something, right? Like you <laughs> you're doing like one command at a time, and you're like. I, I, the the app was all that I built was also pretty bare bones in terms of its functionality, but like I think it has a lot of character, a lot of soul. <laughs> it's called uh, a moment in con. You can check it out on SideQuest, uh, the SideQuest the store, which is this like unofficial app store for the Oculus Quest, um, because you know the Quest store is very restrictive in, when, in what they allow in there. Like very, you have to it has to be like a proper game. Um, a triple-A title. And so this is SideQuest is this awesome um, kind of community-led effort for to host experimental stuff, like the things that won't make it to the to the store. So anyway, I released it there and like suddenly a couple hundred do downloads later and I was like, wow, like there's clearly like Quest people are really hungry for um, content because like there's not that many apps in the Quest store. Um and they're they're very forgiving, you know. This is not Steam's review page. This is, they, you won't get review bombed all that hard for, you know, for small decisions. Um, so kind of like built, kind of being inspired by from that, and also the fact that at work, like we had a bunch of uh, trips that kind of got canceled, like scanning trips. Uh, I guess I can also briefly introduce my company. Like uh, I work at Realities IO, and we focus on doing photogrammetry scanning uh, for VR and AR specifically, uh, both like the scanning and the processing. And we've kind of built this uh, our like pipeline technology that kind of helps do that very easily. But the thing that so yeah, we've kind of worked as as we've done a lot of agency projects for the last couple of years. Um, 
But we had this game that we accidentally stumbled on, like this game idea, that uh, the story it's, it's kind of starts before me, so I'll do my best to tell it. I, I believe it was, it was uh, my colleague Shahyar Shahrabi, who's one of the few engineers. And the way we typically work with our photogrammetry meshes is the way we optimize them is they're cut into like many equal sized parts because typically photogrammetry meshes are just like one huge, you know, heavy mesh that's everything is connected to. Um, and in VR, if you really want to have like the highest quality uh, scan in there, it needs to be cut so that you can only render the, the, the things that you're looking at, like occlusion culling, culling, first some culling, all of that to support all of those features, you need to have um, segmentation, basically. So that that's just part of how our meshes look like. And so one day he like imported it into a new project, and for some reason, the 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 positions of these pieces were wrong. They're all just kind of jumbled up in the air. So he's like, "Oh man, how am I going to fix this? This is a mess." Uh, he's like, "You know what? This would be fun. This kind of is like a puzzle now. Like this is like a jigsaw puzzle. Pieces, you know, looking at them, putting them together." And he's like, "You know that." I should make that, and so he made a prototype uh, of this game on a Vive back in twenty like seventeen or twenty eighteen, um, and people played it. We all played it, and it was really compelling. We we're like, "This is fun," but we never really had an idea as to how to move forward with it at all. Um, so again, this was before my time. I joined uh, in twenty nineteen, and the Corona times kind of like pushed us into this like this of course crisis moment we're like shit like we're kind of losing uh projects that we had on the horizon like of course money is drying up everywhere uh, companies are imploding like what's going to happen to the vr industry and kind of throughout all of this um we were like well we should maybe maybe we should focus really strongly on on this game on the puzzling on this puzzle game um, we're seeing a lot of jigsaw puzzles uh, selling out because people are stuck at home. Uh, people need something chill and tranquil to play. And and we kind of need something to do. <laughs> you know, like we're, we do. <laughs> that, was, that's, that was a big part of it. And so we, felt, we were like, okay, we, we've, we've been talking, we were talking about making, doing this for the Quest specifically rather than Steam. And we had actually a working prototype of just one of the old early puzzles that we had made. Um, we were like, okay, well, at least we know it works and we know, we know we can make more of these. What we need to do is really focus on like, um, getting the interactions to be good, getting the environment to look nice, just the flow of the game, what what is the bare bones, you know, the minimal viable product we need to have to even just put it out there just to see if people want to play it. Like that's that's all we needed to know because before we could like commit to playing building out a full game and trying to like go through the whole process with Oculus, which we knew we would, that would be hard. We were like we need to have some real world validation and yeah, being stuck at home with Corona in in March and no, not, not coronavirus, but you know the crisis, whatever. Uh, March and April, we focused like for a month, I think four or five weeks, <clears throat> kind of almost like as an internal hackathon to just go as as do as much work as we can with as little resources as we had to put out a like a vertical slice, a prototype of the of the puzzle on SideQuest. <clears throat> 
And so that meant like no new scanning things. Let's use what scans we have. So we we ended up using a scan that we had done in Armenia in 2017. This this really beautiful uh, uh, Tativ monast- monastery, um, something that David, the co- one of the co-founders of the company, and I had done. Yeah, back like three four years ago. Um, so we use that. Then we the, also one of the reasons we use that is because we had all these really beautiful ambisonic sound recordings from around the the place, like around the monastery, so like inside of the church, outside of the church, just these spatial like very ambient sounds. But like people walking around talking. Uh, uh, did we have singing? We didn't have singing, but we added that in <laughs> afterwards. So, it, and it played out so that as you're puzzling this place, as you're building out parts of the monastery, the music starts to come alive. Like sound captures from those areas start to come alive as you finish regions. That's and it's cool. just like this really, yeah, really interesting, like delightful sort of thing that happens um, that we didn't really advertise. We kind of wanted people to stumble on it, and that worked out pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean, there were some questions that like took us so long to answer. Like, I, like Shaw was working on the environment for for a while, and like with the, with the early Vive prototype, and he just like he couldn't figure out what should be the environment of something that looks photorealistic. Like with the puzzle in your hand, since it's photogrammetry, it does look very photorealistic. Um, it's scaled down. It's like a small mini world model sort of thing. But behind it, you know, <laughs> it could be anything. So what should it be? And how does it also work when you look at it from a 2D screenshot? You know, it should be something that has contrast with the pieces. So it doesn't, if, if something in the background, you know, if there's a lot happening in the background, then in the screenshots, you just won't be able to distinguish where where the puzzle pieces are, what they are. It'll just look like a mess. So like there's just big questions like that that like Shaw, I think, struggled for for a long time. And then and up until this whole corona like um focus time, like suddenly like this sort of pressure opened up I think creative outlets and like we were able to to answer a lot of these really important questions. Like he just suddenly came up with this beautiful um, like tranquil world of like this, the, these clouds that are in the background and this like glass reflection from this water, um, all that's like kind of very performant. And in, in fact, it's not even a water shader. It's like something else. I don't understand. He's a graphics programmer. So he comes up with very nifty tricks. Um, and oh, from my end, like I was focusing on on the sound design. Like I wanted, we needed to have sound effects. I don't, I didn't have this nice mic that you're listening to me to me from. Uh, like this is what I would use to record like music and 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 voiceover and things like that. But I didn't have it because I was in France. And the only thing I did have were uh, like earphone, uh, like phone headphones that plug into your phone, right? With the little microphone. So just using that, but then like heavily modifying the sound, you know, you just have to be creative. And like I used my voice kind of like did uh, like the whooshing sounds of like force pulling a a puzzle piece. It goes like (laughs) something like that. Like, and it sounds great. You know, you you would never know that's coming from my mouth until unless I tell you. Um, And then, yeah, like Ableton put out 
Ableton or yeah, the company that makes Ableton put out Ableton for free for like three months when Corona started. So I was able to use that. Things like that. I mean, so I guess it's a long way of answering your question of like, has VR been helpful during Corona times? Not in the sense that like as a consumer, oh, like that was to me my escape escape to go into VR and to play. It was nice to play Pavlov in France when I had no other things to do and play. Like Pavlov's always been this thing that I've had if I'm stuck somewhere and I don't, you know, for multiple days and I don't have any other entertainment means, then like it, it, I want to play that. Um, but, you know, being a developer and passionate in VR, uh, I'm just always trying to, ha- you need, you know, you, we always have ideas of things we want to do and things maybe that we want to learn. And you sometimes ask yourself, like, why haven't I done that yet? And as part of it is like, you don't have the pressure to do it. And if, you know, sometimes if that pressure is there, it forces you into something like that. So like I hadn't, I hadn't never made a quest app before. Um, and so that being stuck in France and kind of honestly quite getting depressed by like the end of it, um, it really helped give me something to do and some sort of sanity um, thing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It just, it seems like you've, um, you approached it from a creator sort of standpoint. You, you kept your sanity uh, yeah. by using VR as a creator, not necessarily as much as a consumer, which is great. That's awesome. Um, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a way where in your, um, using your mind to mold the world you want and then see it with your own eyes, um, instead of being surrounded by this craziness that is currently yeah. going and going on. And it's just, uh, I mean, my curiosity, I'm curious to know, um, taking a, a sidestep before I get back to VR, like the biggest issue, well, one of the biggest issues here in the U.S. has been the politicization of science, hmm. um, where in all of a sudden you get all these like rich people types, you get all these like uh, politician types who all of a sudden become armchair epidemiologists and they think they know how infectious diseases work. And yeah, it's funny. Like, I listen to this motherfucker over someone who has 50 years of experience. So it's kind of like the climate change thing happening, but instead of like climate change that's going to hit us in the next few decades, this is in real time. And so I'm curious, like in Europe, is that politicization as extreme? Are people wearing masks? Are politicians like, yeah. like doing their thing? Um, uh, you know, I I, th- I thought the anti-mask wearers and the whole Corona is a hoax people were not were only um, were only organized in the U.S. because of because of politics basically but then last weekend there was a huge protest in berlin for basically anti-quarantine measures which to be fair when i by the time i came back to berlin you know coming from france i came here i'm like wearing my mask everywhere and i go outside and i'm like what is going like why is everyone so chill nobody's wearing a mask like everyone is relaxed the 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 markets in france like they took your temperature before you going in, you know, you had to, of course, we wore a mask. And then the open air market here is like 
people are just chilling, like nobody, you know, everyone's just hanging out, whatever. And it was just really shocking to me the first like time I came here. I also was in this two week quarantine, like it was mandated mandated for any new entrance, any new entries people into Germany uh, have to self-quarantine themselves for two weeks. And I got here, I got off the plane, and then someone hands me this piece of paper that says, like, okay, you're new here, you know, find your health local health department to contact about that. And I was like, okay, so I find the one that's for my neighborhood, and I email them, the email bounces. It's like, what the hell? Like, uh, this is, so I call them, and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, thank you for calling. And so and I was like, well, you guys... You know, I tried to email you. Did it bounce back? They're like, oh yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. It's it's like just it's it's better that you called. I was like, okay, like who the hell is like actually paying attention? Or like, I, I, are you guys taking this seriously? This whole quarantine thing. It seemed like I don't know. It was very lax, and I I quarantined myself in that sense. Um, nobody came to check on me, um, and of course, and I had to register myself that I was new in town. You know, it wasn't like something mandated at the border. So like it, from the from the start, it felt like. I mean, Germany has also done really well with its with its results. Like, it's had a huge number of cases, specifically because I think they were extremely good at testing early on. Um, but like, very few deaths, very very few deaths comparatively, like per capita to any other country, including France. Um, so I don't I don't know why that that it's like that in terms of the the numbers and why Germany was better than other countries. But um, to be honest, yeah, like here it's felt. For the last two months, I'd say it's felt like normal life. Like the restaurants are open, and it's summertime, so a lot of people are eating outside anyway. Like that's the nice thing about a lot of restaurants in Europe is they'll just have outdoor seating and cafes and, and bars and stuff too. Uh, but indoor is open now. Uh, bars are open. The clubs are not, which is what like big thing Berlin is known for. But like, thank God they're not because that those are like the dirty, grimy, like let's just get on top of each other and breathe down each other's necks sort of thing. <laughs> so imagine that happening again. Like those sort of scenarios are just I don't know. They just feel like a world away um, <laughs> in, in some sense. But yeah, going back to your question about the the divide. I mean, I don't know. I I only know what I know and. I'm not, you know, my German isn't great, so I'm not reading um, German news sites like directly without auto translate, which I do have. Um, so I don't know like the nitty gritty details of how things are happening. But like from to be honest, from here looking at the U.S., it just looks like a shit show. Of like, of course, the U.S. would take something so simple and or not so simple, but like such a common enemy that we could you know rally around and then completely split everyone down the middle and be like, if you believe, you know, if you do this, you're clearly a liberal. If you do this, you're clearly uh, conservative and, and how it gets getting played into the inflection and how it gets played into the current cultural wars. Like it's just a mess. And like, it just makes me sad sitting here and like, you know, I plan to come back to the U.S. over the next couple of years. Like same with my significant other, we want to go and get married there and have a family and, and it's like, I don't know, guys, you guys aren't making it hard. You guys aren't making it easy to want to be back. And I don't know, man, it's worrying. It's This shit is really, really, really worrying. Um, this is like how civil wars start. Like, this is how, um, yeah, the, like 
I don't know. Like America seemed like it never really did a proper lockdown to begin with. Like even when we were stuck at home, like people were had shelter at home, you know, things to do or, you know, orders to, to, to follow. But like it was more suggested than it was enforced. So the lockdown didn't really properly happen. And then the openings happened. And then I don't know, maybe also there's a part of it is like maybe Americans are more freaked out about their numbers than they should be in a sense or like comparatively it may be the, the reality is the same in America and France or something, but then the reaction to that, through those numbers are very, very different and people are much more nervous in the U S I, I, that's kind of how I'm feeling. Like I still have friends and family that, you know, are not seeing any friends or not hanging out with any people. And I understand that like, that's, that's exactly the mentality that I, that I was in, um, until I was back here and I realized that people are much more relaxed and it doesn't seem like, you know, it's ending, uh, the world is ending in terms of Corona in Germany. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. It's, uh, uh, it seems so signal heavy in America. Like you have to, you know, it's like huge shaming on people to not, that are not following, uh, you know, the, the social rules of things and, I mean, I get it. Of course, I get it. It's just I don't know. It, I, I'm, the the whole response is scaring me of how deeply like people are trying to antagonize each other for it. The I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, <laughs> um, but um, the a lot of for me a lot of. Um, my biggest concern, some of my biggest concerns come from whether Trump will accept the outcome of the election if he loses. Because mm -hmm. um, he's come on record a lot of times questioning and now saying that mailing ba ballot is going to be a fucking fraud. And sort of he's sort of setting the stage for him, like, you know, pulling off some shenanigans and some bullshittery. And um, and that's that's sad, you know. It it doesn't help that it's again it's an election year, so um, people are trying to get political points on one another. And the biggest and frankly, like it, it's kind of cliche, but like you every like other horror movie where the asteroids coming and you know you and then and then um and then people ignore the scientists like that's where mm -hmm. that's how it's playing out here and you know it, to me uh covid is is not something that i um you know when i said earlier that if i catch covid i might die i honestly think mm -hmm. that i would have a really bad time because of how no, you have you have you're completely right in thinking that like um, absolutely i yeah, and even if you didn't have your condition right now, like I have a friend who's been stuck at home. He's 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 our age. He's been stuck at home for the last three to four months because he most likely had it, and he's had this huge fatigue for the last like three months, and it's has not worn off. He like he keeps relapsing into it. So there, there's huge dangers when it comes to it, and of course, like you, especially you should be taking the all the precautions that you could. I really um, uh, and and yeah so so definitely doing that um, it's affected my family personally so so to, and 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 add the fact that it's a, a, a disease that we haven't seen before 
still relatively new. It seems like there's a worldwide effort to learn more and try to combat it um, that has never been seen before, which is which is great. But you know, diseases mutate, and I don't mean to seem like uh, I'm overly pessimistic about this. But I'm the kind of person that you know hopes for the best but prepares for the worst, and yeah. I just um, I, I do hope though that we find a vaccine, and all the dummies who are anti-vaxxers come around finally to getting the vaccine so that every so that this thing is over with and you know we'll, we move on with our lives and economies get cut get back to uh, I mean there's 40 million people out of work right now out here this yeah. is something that we've never seen before and it's just uh, it's just nuts it's nuts um it's unprecedented I, it's just we're just living in really unprecedented times and yeah the lack of leadership doesn't help like no. that sort of feeling like you're you know if, <laughs> the feeling of trump being your president like that statement in a, in and of itself of a you know tv character being have you seen Idiocracy? Yeah, the movie. But even how crazy is like, was better than Trump. <laughs> <laughs> how crazy is that? That there's like, you know, part of the, you were seeing slowly parts of that movie becoming real. It doesn't help that we have things like Fox News that have this ultra conservative bias agenda that is brainwashing the boomers, um, and it doesn't help either that social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter are in essence just behavioral modification you know systems and pl platforms it's where you go get your brainwashed you know like that's the more I look at Twitter and the more I look at Facebook the less I wanna like the less I want to tweet the less yeah I'll, I'll, yeah I'll still do podcasts because these conversations are real this is real you and I have. yeah it doesn't feel like we're putting something out for likes the same way a tweet does where it's like exactly. okay let's let's say you know virtue signal this thing and see how many of my followers are going to agree with me and oh am i going to attract some trump trolls Ooh, like if you want to play that game fine but like you need to have a certain sort of mindset and sort of personality to play that game. And that's and not me. With podcasting, yeah. I could give a flying fuck how many people listen, how you know if they list, if they like it or not. Because frankly, this is just a snippet of of, of my history through yeah. the through these through your eyes, my eyes, our voices, and I'm I ultimately what it is is just me. And you and I having the ability to look back 20 years from now and say, oh, shit, that's what we were thinking, you know? And, yeah. And along the way, if people learn something, if, if there's value that people, ideally, we will, we're adding value to others as we yeah. learn and talk and converse and have a dialect. But, you know, it, this is the thing about uh, my, my style is that I never wanted... I don't think I want to be popular. <laughs> Not in this day and age, ever. Dude, 100%. I, like, it's like, you want, you know, you want to be able to do what you want to do. And it's like, imagine being, yeah, first of all, there's, there's like all this sort of like, uh, 
It's like, yes, let's just invite all this criticism that exists around the internet and the world onto me. Like, <laughs> like be, being afraid. And then take that to the extreme. It's like, oh, I would, you know, do you want to walk somewhere and then be recognized? You know, or you're like you're sitting down and having dinner and be recognized like that. Nobody wants that. Or like at least you should. Actually, no, that's not true. I mean, people do want that, but until I think I'm, I'm sure until they get that, and then they're like, oh my God, this actually sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I entirely feel you on it's that. It's weird. It's weird. We human beings are full of contradictions. We are aware, and I am, I am full of contradictions. I will tell you right now that I'm the biggest hypocrite that's ever lived. But, you know, at, at the same time, I'm self aware enough to know, or try to be self aware. And try to correct myself wherever I can, because it's ultimately to me like the, my purpose, and one, some one of the things that give me purpose is definitely giving cuddles to my dog, but also becoming a better person, a little bit better the next day than I was before, a little bit, you know, as soon as I get over the, these GI issues, I'm going to get back to working out, and not on, and 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 the purpose for me that. The thing that the valley that working out brought to me is that like every day I felt that like lifting that gallon of milk felt a little lighter, you know, mm. going up that flight of stairs felt a little easier. And that and like as you get older, that feels good, you know, because mm. most people are thinking that as they get older, shit is going to get harder. No, I want to go in the opposite direction. And that makes me feel good. And not only do I want to do that with my body, I want to do that with my mind. Right. And so and so it's it's odd because I remember um, I remember criticizing the police three years ago. And mind you, this was a a hard, hard time for me because I was going um, I was having I was I was on antidepressants. Let me tell you something. Stay the (laughs) fuck if you don't have to stay the fuck away from things like Wellbutrin because that shit will fuck you up. Thank God I quit that shit. I got over it, you know, because it put me into these weird manic states. If you listen to some of those episodes like three years ago, I'm like, I, I keep them out. You know, I'll keep them out because I'm, um, I'm, I, I still stand by some of the things, uh, most of the things I said. Um, like, for example, I remember criticizing the police on the podcast because, yeah, police have a lot of power here in the u.s and a lot of times these dudes abuse it it's not by the way not it's not heresy to say that these people aren't perfect because they're people just like you and me and i'll say this for uh i'll say this for your american listeners in case like they haven't seen police in other countries dude the vibe of police in america is just so above and beyond authoritative authoritarian and like scary and like very you're always nervous interacting with the police i don't care who you are i don't care who you are or what color you are it's like you there's this huge tension anytime you interact with the police officer and it's because you could say something that will get you fucked up you can get say something that will them get you know open their eyes and be like oh well let me ask you about that it's like oh shit i like walk talk myself into this into this knot um it's not like that in other countries and like a lot of, like it doesn't i'm not saying like western you know uh western countries are have the amazing police it's like you go to, even lebanon like go to a third world country like you have 
um, you can have normal conversations with uh, police officers because they're they end up being from the communities that of which they're enforcing. You know, they're not um, a semi a semi like police uh, a military force. That sense. So, yeah. No, I mean, so are, do you like? Why do you why do you mention that? Like, I mention you... that because it's it's um it to me it's a balance. It's a balance of like not everyone is bad. Not every you, know, you general generalizing people is not useful if you're gonna grow as a human being. Because I have friends yeah. who are cops and they're good guys. You know they're tr- mm. they're like they're uh, you know s- s- they're not all bad, but the ones who are, who are who are bad have a disproportionate amount of power. Yeah. Right, than regular people, and they can do a disproportionate amount of harm. And so I remember having having this uh, moment where I was criticizing and someone sent me some hate mail <laughs> over that. And the guy was like, uh, you know, the guy was just, it was just sad. I just felt bad because this guy who's a veteran, served, the, served his country and, and, and fought so that I could have that right to speak out. And yet here he was gatekeeping me, <laughs> you know? Like saying, hey, you don't get to talk bad about the cops. I fought for your rights. Like, okay, that, you know what I mean? Like, again, I'm going back to these contradictions where, and, um, where, and, and, and it really comes to uh, what I think is happening is that there's these, you know, outlets of media, of news that are warping people's minds. And, these platforms like Twitter and Reddit and Facebook, you end up in these silos where all you hear is the same, you know, people agreeing with each other. And all of a sudden you think there's millions of you. Kind of like the QAnon motherfuckers. They're crazy as fuck. Have you, like, those, like... Dude, I, I haven't paid attention to that. Those, like, on, on, I'm not, I know it's just... the Boogaloos, they were from the QAnon <laughs> motherfuckers. They're fucking nuts. And they think, yeah. you know, they think they're... It's just, they think they're... They think they're an issue. I'll tell you this. They're an issue. But you know what? I'm not going to give them too much airtime. They can go fuck themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, let's go back to VR. Because this, this, <laughs> this has completely... Yeah, this is the NRVR podcast. What is? Yeah, this is the story of the NRVR podcast. People think they heard to listen about virtual reality, but all of a sudden they're talk they're listening to, you know, some but Corona and cops. Corona cops. Yeah, yeah I did in terms. Of... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Hmm? I was gonna say I, I as earlier I like wrote something down. So if you we want to talk about VR, I have something I want I, I wanted to mention that I forgot to. I wrote that stuff down too because I want to know after all these years because I've known you for a bit a bit amount of time and frankly you know this is this is nuts because you know um, from my perspective here in the US the times before COVID feel so far away (laughs) (laughs) it feels Mm -hmm. so far away like remembering going to Burning Man and hugging naked hippies in the desert, or you know, or or go, or like uh, going to conference via VR conferences and putting on people's sweaty HMDs 
<laughs> and mind you, mind you, like every other, I shit you not, every other VR conference that I went to, I came back from sick. <clears throat> There's always some flu, yeah, at every conference. Every you know, other, but, like, yeah. but that, those times are over. I'm never doing that again. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I'm not fucking around. Like, that's it. This is that. That's the end of a set at like. It's sad to say, but there won't be meetups. I'm at least I ain't going over real life meetups. I think in my probably in my lifetime, because again, is it worth it? Uh, in the best uh, case scenario, if there's a vaccine, yeah. maybe. But I'll, I'll say this, Chris. I'll say this, Chris, because like America's still in the thick of it all, and like it definitely feels helpless, and that we will never see any resemblance of life before Corona. But I'll say this. As someone on the other side, or presumably, not really, but at least it feels it feels normal here. It's like things do definitely will change. Like one thing, schools, like schools will change. Conferences for sure will change. Um, yeah, music, music events, raves, who knows? I mean, may, maybe that will take more time, but they will change. But the thing about humans are that, sorry, I, I should put words together that in a way that makes sense. <laughs> um, humans really want to be around each other, whether it's personal things or, or the grander also like collective um, human events. And th like, you will see that again in your lifetime and, uh, and you'll see that again in the U S like if, if not in the next couple of months, but like it will happen in the in next year um, in terms of meetups. I think those are much more like, controllable than their than conferences and there's huge value for like meeting people in real life especially if you're early into your career like like you and i were um going to vr meetups trying to figure out what the hell this is who you know who we are what we're interested in who we should talk to or know that was yeah the silicon valley virtual reality meetup to me was that was like an invaluable thing back in 2014 yeah um that was a huge, huge thing. 2014, 2015, 2016. That's where I actually met the two co-founders of the company that I work for at one of the SVR meetups um, in 2016. So th those will happen again. I think it's hard to imagine them now, but they will. They absolutely will. There's a there's a need for it. The thing, the interest. Of course, there's interesting things that have come from this, which is that like now we realize we can. Um, first of all, we're all working from home. Yes, and the thing about that is that now you can perhaps hire people that are not in the same city as you, or they don't. You don't have to force them to relocate themselves and their families to your office. Which means perhaps like now, you know, if diversity is is, is a big goal for companies, like well, now you, you you will actually be able to hire people from around the world that you know they just were in a completely different job market, like locked in a different job market there. Um, and now they're valuable to you and you are valuable to them. So I think from that perspective, like uh, from just the remote work perspective, I'm really, really excited about the, the prospect of that. Um, for my future, I want to live on a farm. Like I want to live, I don't know, in some, in, in, in a, in a house with like, you know, some hills behind it and, you know, not in anywhere metropolitan in that sense, but then because of the internet, um, and probably VR, like I'll be still be in the same um, technology, VR, AR, whatever light field market there is in the next couple of decades. 
Um, so that's just becoming more reality now. So that's really exciting. You know, you're right. I I I got caught up in my uh, doom and gloom here, and I and I really hope. Dude, I really hope this because uh, you you're right 100 like people we're social animals we we need to feel ourselves around each other um mm-hmm. to uh, even in even the most introverted of the introverted people we need a little bit you know just a tiny bit of you know having that socialization and vr chat can only get you so far <laughs> yeah. um it helps and yeah. it it does help but it's not it's not the same. Yeah. Um, and so I am hopeful. I'm hopeful. I am. I look forward to the day where I can go back um, into the city, do a bike party, or hmm. uh, or, or or go to Burning Man. I actually just, yeah. do that too. Like that would be nice. See the Mayan warrior <laughs> and shit like that. Um, yeah, you're right. I but meetups. That's the weird part. Again, it's. I think it's the sweaty headset thing that gives me the. Mm-hmm. the, the Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you maybe meetups. You felt oh, that dude, sweaty, sweaty, smelly oh. headset on your face, and you're like, "Oh man, I just." Nope. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's it's really. I don't know how location based VR companies like come out of this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I. <laughs> my bet was like I don't think they can even if with even if they have like a proven method of of having completely cleaned and disinfected headsets in between people it's like I think people's um uh their trust is like not there you know they're all worried you know if you're not going to touch an elevator button that another person touched then would you trust the VR headset so I don't know what what's going on what what will happen there but the thing I wanted to actually mention earlier is, in terms of social VR, I, I think you, you know you you were you're a lot you found a lot of value in that, especially with VR chat. Like we've talked about this before, and like that's like what you're experiencing now. I think is like is a pioneering kind of early. You're like the per, you're like the kid in the '90s, you know, in in like the earliest version of MMOs that you're like this is the shit, you know. In 20 years, people are gonna like you can't you don't even know what will happen in 20 years but you couldn't have you know that 90s kid can't couldn't have imagined fortnite existing with a what they haven't they had a concert event with like 20 million people attending and then they couldn't have any more people so they had to do a live stream also and there was like a couple more million people there so like i think on the social vr side we considered it we uh, for our team like okay where should we have our weekly team meetings in, and we briefly th- considered meeting meeting in VR and then we we're like actually let's just do Google Hangouts because <laughs> it just it's just faster it's it's that's the main reason it's just click on the calendar link and then it'll boot us into a video chat call um, and then with our you know. We all had VR headsets, but then with with our families, like with me and my family and friends, being stuck in isolation, I ended up just video chatting people a lot more and a lot like way more than I've ever had. And it ended up kind of becoming into this habit on on Sundays to call and and have video chats with people because I know they're in the same situation as me, and it kind of started forming some bonds there, some habits that I never knew would exist. And I knew, you know, 
some investors want to point to this and be like, aha, like VR has failed because it was not able to take advantage of, of the time where it could have been the best. It's like, well, even with the Quest, even with uh, every single PC VR headset, it's still too early for something like that to happen with mainstream. It's like, dude, have you tried to use a Quest? Like, okay, you buy a Quest, it works great, but then 80% of the time, it works great. The other 20% of the time, you need to make a new Guardian every time you turn it on. You know, the there's just random, like audio doesn't work when you turn it on. There's just, we're still early. We're still so early in, in, in this. And we're using like Windows 95 basically in VR. So of course it's not going to take off. The, the applications, the content hasn't even been made. There's barely any developers making things for it. There's not the Facebook and the Instagram and, you know, the, the Tumblr of spatial computing. And that's, we're four, five, six years into this. This is so early still. So, no, I mean, I don't think this is, <clears throat> it's like a, a, a eulogy for VR at all. I think they're like people, they're just, they're going to, they're going to seem silly in 10 years looking back. Like, I, I do think the next, <clears throat> sorry, the next five to 10 years are just going to really, like, we're already seeing in terms of the adoption curve for VR, like, it's it's already curving up. Like it's not a linear growth. It's not like the same amount of people that are buying it every year. It's starting to get exponential. And we're just at the very, very early start of that. And the same thing with COVID, you know, it's very slow. The exponential curves start extremely slow. And then there's like this one inflection point that like suddenly humans are able to recognize that there's change happening because it's happening fast enough. And that will happen over the next I don't know. I, I'm if I want to say that's probably over the next like three to five years. Like, I'd say five years for sure. Um, you know, you can quote me on that and then hate on me if I'm not right. Uh, I don't. I don't. I typically don't like making predictions, but just looking at numbers. I, I, it's also. I, I guess I'm not making a binary uh, <laughs> a binary prediction of whether VR happens or doesn't happen. Like to be quite frank, I really don't care if it's happens or not like there's there's already such a user base of people that find incredible value in it in their lives both on the consumer side and gaming side but also on the developer side and like art artist side like to me vr fulfills the things that i want it to fill, fulfill and so i don't need further validation from it but like as a developer going into a market and building out a game like puzzling places it's like should we be doing this it's like yeah we have we have great aspirations that there will be 10x 20x 50x more more VR and AR players um, in the world over the next five to ten years, and if you can build something now that could be useful, you know that sets a trend and like is useful in the next five to ten years, then great because that now is kind of the best time to do it. There's no other co competition. Now everybody looks at it and it's like there's no money in here. Why would I want to invest my time in it? Especially the big companies. They're not they're not competitors. So it's you know the the best selling vr games are indie de indie development titles they're not every time insomniac does something that doesn't become the number one game everyone every time even rockstar maybe rockstar was the only one with actually no not even la noir vr was like that huge maybe skyrim was like one of the only triple a titles that like is in the top 10 versus beat saber and pistol whip and super hot you know like these are indie titles so that that's just always what I like to encourage people that are listening to this. It's like, it, this is, <laughs> it's, I'm sorry to say this, this is as easy at, as it will ever be in VR to, to, to make something and be successful with it. And it's because it's early enough that there's no real competition, 
but it's also early enough because and there's no trends for you to follow. There's no like set. It's like you can't just um, make a Fortnite clone or something and then like get some money from that the same way you could maybe on, on mobile. But you know that that's the trade off that you get by being early. You have more opportunity, but you also have uh, you have to be more creative and original with what you want to do. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> let me ask you. I hope really- I'm right. I, I'm, cur- I'm curious to know. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but go ahead and finish your thought. Sorry. No, no. There's, the, there's, there are, there is no more. Or... Um, <laughs> I, I, let me ask you this: Have you ever given your mom a hug in virtual reality? No, no. We haven't been in VR together. I mean, she's been in VR with me giving her a headset, but she doesn't have one, unfortunately, not yet. So, so, so this is the, this is the thing that's weird because I, I, you know, I had my mom. Um, visit and uh, I, I, I let her use the quest. I was on the index. We went in VR chat. I interviewed her in the side VR chat and then I gave her a hug um, in VR. And it's been um, eight months since we saw, since we did that, since I've seen her, she went back to Nicaragua. And every time we talk on the phone or every time, every other time, I can tell she. Well, she's let me know that she wants to do that again. Mm. It speaks to something being, there's something there. Totally. And uh, it's kind of like, um, have you ever been to El Farolito here in SF? The best fucking taqueria in all of San Francisco? Wait, let me check. El Farolito? El Farolito, yeah. The little lighthouse. They have, Let's see where it is. I know it more by location than my name. There's one on 16th and Mission. No, 24th and Mission. And there's another one over by uh, Alamini. I forget. It's like, oh, 24th and Mission. Okay, yeah, definitely then. So El Farolito is the best fucking burrito you can possibly have in all of San Francisco. And this and this is and I call this the the El Farolito effect, right? With with um, mm-hmm. with human communication, wherein if you have the best burrito in all of San Francisco. Every other burrito pales in comparison. You just, you just, you go, you go to uh, Guadalajara. You go to. Don't tease me. And, and I haven't had Mexican food in, in way too long. And neither have I. I've tried. Trust me, it's. <laughs> I feel your pain. Um, but you realize that no matter how much money you spend on all these other burritos, they just don't come close. To El Farolito, and then so and so in in that effect kind of applies to this VR interaction where I hug I hug my mom, and no matter how good the voice clarity is over Messenger or Skype, it'll never come close to having that proprioceptive sensation that I had when I wrapped her around my arms. You know, I was a giant sloth. And she was this like anime girl, and it was weird, but it was my mom, and it was and it was and it was and it was real, to the degree that it can be, and it was better than just listening to her voice or even the video call. And so, if you ever do get that chance, that experience with your mom, let me know what she thinks and if she ever brings it up again, because I think sure. there's something there, and I think that. Um, it's the I think it's the beginning of something something pretty beautiful in, in terms of how people will connect with each other over long distances. Um, yeah, 
And so that's one thing. And the other thing I wanted to mention was that, like, you know, I want I was I was debating in my head whether we should have done this conversation in VR chat. Why? Because I wanted to talk to you specifically about UX and UI design in VR. But the mm -hmm. thing about discussing these somewhat abstract subjects, you know, is that like the things that you see inside your mind, I'm visualizing something similar, but but not exactly the same as you're visualizing it. And so by going in the virtual world and listening to you speak, but also through drawing out a cube or drawing out that interface and placing it in front of me in 3D, all of a sudden, and, and, then, and then allowing me to not, you know, you're basically what I'm what are, what we're allowing my what you're allowing myself to do as 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 a learner is you're allowing me to take the processing that I would have in my brain use the processing that my brain would have used to model the abstractness and then use that to perhaps take in more information because now the abstractness is taken away by the fact that you're modeling it in front of me in VR, you know? And so, and so I, I'm, I'm probably going to ask you to do that sometime, come back on the show and we'll do it in VR and we'll have yeah. a more, you know, UI UX interface centric conversation. Um, but we'll have drawing tools that allow sure. us to visualize things better. Um, you know, I I can even add one more thing to that, which is we can, if we'll talk about photogrammetry, <clears throat> we can hang, we can hang out in a room, like a scanned room yeah. and actually talk about, you know, the, all everything that there is to talk about with photogrammetry. So it ends up, it's, it's, it's a really great platform for it. I mean, I, I have, I, we used to do all the podcasts in using big screen. Um, and then something's changed uh, from their end. And then, like we started just doing voice calls or like video calls. And then just recently I started using hubs now, Mozilla hubs mm. to have these meetings for podcasts. Um, awesome. It's decent. It's yeah, it's quite decent. The only issue is you need like Firefox and, and I mean, there's a quest side you can use it on a quest pretty easily, but um, so the, just a kind of comment about what you were saying about, you know, touching like, yeah, hugging your mother and communicating with people. I think VR communication. So I like to look at yeah, definitely big picture sort of things and try to like. One of my hobbies is to try to understand what is happening trend wise. Um, just to say, I can I that I called it you know for years ago. That the the thing I've been stuck on for the last like two years has been, guys. There's going to be light field displays, light field monitors, like. There's there we've hit diminishing returns when it comes to 2D monitors, you know nobody gives a shit about 8K or HDR for that matter. I mean sure you know tech blogs do, but like the average person still doesn't see the difference between 4K and 1080P, let alone HDR, let alone 8K. So there's we need something new there, and that something new there will be kind of taking advantage of the advancements that we've had with 3D, like both the the rendering side, which like now our phones can render what like you know Xbox 360s could if not even better um, and the fact that now there's just more user generated content of 3D and there's photogrammetry light field there's um, 
neural rendering, basically huge advancements in all things 3D, that these displays that will kind of look like magic windows will um, will start to become a thing over the next decade also. We'll probably start seeing like the DK1 and DK2 of these displays, which, by the way, already exists. The looking glass display, if you've already... If you've ever heard of it or seen it, that's very much the DK one of this new sort of display. Um, and I, in my eyes, it kind of is beautifully concurrent. It's, it's this parallel path with VR and AR, this head worn thing, which you know it needs. It's very compute heavy. It needs. It needs. Um, you know, it needs to be optimized. Everything needs to be optimized for it. Same thing with, with light field and, and and volumetric displays. So that's one thing. I'm like. I'm just surprised a lot of VR people don't think about it or see that that's coming from a similar world. Perhaps it's not experienced in the same way, but like fits into the same sort of um, technologies. The other thing that with with social, like, man, especially because working at home, working remotely and having to call friends and family, the thing we want really the most with social interaction. I mean, one one element of it is yes, we want to be able to like touch each other, but you know, I'm sure there's a lot of things. You know, even before this podcast, we were messaging each other, just sending text messages back and forth about like, hey, are we meeting this or then? Um, so there's different use. There's different levels of immersion we want to be in for different states of communication, and one of them that I'm seeing a lot with because we're all stuck at home, is like this sort of ambient presence. Like someone is just in the room with you for multiple hours of, at a time remotely, but it doesn't ha- it, without it feeling like it's a phone call, without it feeling like you have to dedicate your entire attention span to that person. Um, sorry, there's just a lot of sirens happening in, <laughs> in my background. Okay. Um, and so VR and AR and especially like 3D avatars, I think fit into that in um in one way. Like the you know one side of it is the audio side, and I think we're we're just the with the emergence of like the Alexas and the Google Homes, we're starting to have like really good speakers and really good microphones that can pick up people's voices from across the room. You know, they don't have to be yelling; they can just be talking, and they can be talking to their like this speaker and microphone set up and have a voice call that way. Um, but of course, we want to also be able to perhaps see them. And whether that's through AR glasses that you're wearing in, in the house um, or that's through some sort of a display, 2D or light field. I mean, I, I do think the, the you know this whole idea of Zoom fatigue that is being talked about a lot because people are just doing video calls back and forth, like back to back in their work lives. What, why does that exist? Why does Zoom fatigue exist? It's because it's so like slow. This, there's a huge latency when we're talking. It takes us so much mental effort to try to talk to someone through via uh, Hangouts or Zoom that you don't have when you're in person next to each other because it's just it's instantaneous. You, there's all these cues you're picking up on. It takes very little brain power to do that. So I think with like the future of communication, it it's taking advantage of all these elements of like that of we have in person and trying to digitize that so you can do it remotely. So like ambient communication, I think is 
this this thing that's going to grow from like starting with by the way Discord. So in Discord, the way you end up using voice channels with friends is like you kind of have it in the background, like whether you're playing a game or not, or you're just kind of browsing something together. You know, it's this like weird ambient hanging out thing. And if there's anything we've seen with tech, it's like things start in gaming and then start to get adopted by like the enterprise folks, by like uh, other just other industries, and it's because gamers are like. You know, very they have money to spend on hardware, so they're always getting like the best things that, that don't work on the lowest end devices. Um, they're also willing to put up with technical bullshit. Like when things don't things go wrong, they know how to like look up how to fix things. So I think Discord, like that sort of hanging out with friends um, without a specific purpose, like I think that will grow and. I can really see like avatars um, and spatial computing kind of like, yeah, however that plays into everyday life at home. Like I can for sure see that working out. And at, for work, like I would love to be, if I'm wearing my, you know, my uh, Leap Motion Project North glasses, uh, you know, at my desk while I'm working on things with no monitors, right? Because they're just virtual monitors. Um, to my left, I want to see my coworker at his desk. Um, and to my right, I want to see my other coworker at her desk. And like, we're just, it feels like you're at the office, but you're working. Like, you can still have that sort of office room chat of like leaning over, looking at their monitor, pointing to something, talking about it. And I absolutely see like AR and VR being pivotal for, for things like that. And yeah, it's just, why don't we see that now? It's like, it's too early. There's, there's all these elements exist individually, but like, there's so much stuff that needs to happen for them to come together in a way that like a million people can instantly buy it and it works. Like we'll, we'll get there, but it'll, it'll take time. Just if you're interested in this field, like stick with it. That's, it's not, it's not going any, it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. It, ah, so much to unpack. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, uh, you think about one, yeah, the ambient, ambient communication sort of like, yeah, that and and also about how early things are in that like, but you get these glimpses of the future if you know where to look or if you get lucky. Um, wherein have you seen dreams from Media Molecule on the PS4? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's what Unity should be. <laughs> like, like sure, this yeah. ability to go inside your PS4, which is fucking seven years old right now, and not only be able to model, but animate, add game logic, add music, yeah. all yeah. inside the VR headset with like these motion controllers that came out in 2010. Why don't I have that on my Valve <laughs> Index running an mm. RTX 2080? I want that, and I can't believe this isn't a thing. Like, because I look, don't get me wrong, Blender is fucking amazing. It's free, open source. I love it. Go Blender. It's a bitch to use to, or like Bam. to learn at least. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, for example, again, going back to something you said earlier where like you're using this pandemic to uh, work on things that, you know, they're sort of forcing you to work on things that you kind of left unfinished and now you want to finish up or actually do. You know, I've been having this craving for the longest time to make my own Star Fox meets Star Wars 
VR game <laughs> where you're just basically it's an on rails VR, you know, uh, fighter jet shooter thing. And I was and I'm doing all by myself. So so I, I, I grabbed the Udemy tutorial and then I started learning Blender and two weeks go by and I am having a lot of issues just doing simple shit like the simplest shit like snapping a vertice to another cube's vertice is taking me so long and here comes microsoft maquette where i'm can when i can where i can do that because i was trying to model an r-wing and i here comes microsoft maquette and i did the whole modeling of the r-wing um just basically opening up a window on chrome playing some soundcloud music and i spent two hours and i had an r-wing and i could drop into my unity game and doing that in blender would have taken me so much longer obviously would have looked better yes i'll give them that but just for simple prototype's sake and for the simple ability of just be wanting to do it more maquette was a way to go and it just yeah. makes me feel like, God, why is in dreams already on PC? Because they would have just allow this explosion of creativity. Um, it's just a, it's such a shame because I I I'm a I, I like Sony, but these exclusives fucking suck, man. I, I <laughs> <laughs> they it's just it's, it hinders it's hindering on it's hindering so much creativity and it could, it could unleash so much potential yeah think about 3d also and like you know i'm i'm i i feel like a newcomer into 3d uh, only i only learned it because of photogrammetry i didn't know shit about i, I couldn't tell you the difference between mesh and texture in like 2017 um because like i had no reason to really like know that um most like of course 3d is like like computer graphics 3D is does not have any relation to the physics of real life. You know, it, there's parts of it that like they try to simulate in terms of oh, light bounces off of this material this way, and you know, and makes it look this way. Yeah, it's all hard hard coded, and like it's all supposed to be like it. And there's no relation to how the properties of 3D things work to how it should work. Um, and so much of it is like. I don't know. It, it takes a long time to learn, and, and especially when it comes to like modeling something efficiently. To you know, it's not. It doesn't have two faces that are touching each other that are on the inside of the model. You know, like things like that. That like a newcomer doesn't really want to care about. They're like, why? Why does it matter if there's anything on the inside of the of this model? Um, it's tough. I mean, I think with VR, there's been attempts attempts to do like no code sort of like creation tools, and there are, too, of course, like uh, yeah, maquette blocks, tilt brush, and even gravity sketch. By the way, I would I, I I've heard, um, I would not heard. I've used gravity sketch, and it's like quite an advanced tool now. Um, but at the small scale where we are now, like I think that's why there's just small. There's not that much incentive for someone like Media Molecule to make a PC VR version of that, that would also work. Like you can export the, you know, the things you make in Dreams and make your own games. I, I actually don't even know how Dreams works. It's like that whole world, that whole platform it's, is its own. Like they, they did an incredible amount of like 
uh, advancements in, in 3D rendering, and that's why it all looks so interesting. It doesn't look like triangles. It's not triangles. I think they're like splats. Um, so I think that that will come, and I think that's the biggest thing. Also, like as a the person that's like developed things from solo, and and you know my coding skills are, are I'd say horrendous. <laughs> um, yeah, you know I want things to work easily. I want a button in Unity to work. To, to to make a button work is like actually quite. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to, you know, looking at where the controller is, assigning like. There, there's a lot of logic that you have to get through to make something work in in VR development, and I think that will little by little is will get better. I, I'm not saying is better now, but that will open up more possibilities for for people to just make things that they want to make. Um, yeah, I can't recommend anything for it now, but like I guess if you have the motivation, the external motivation and the internal motivation, um, the beautiful thing about the internet is like there is such an abundance of like of, of documentation and tutorials to follow that there's quite a lot you can learn to do, like that I have learned to, to have done over the last couple of years. Um, and I can only attribute that to the internet. Yep, shout outs to Ben Tristan on Udemy. He's fucking awesome. <laughs> I put <laughs> out uh, Unity tutorials that you can adapt. And, and that's the thing about like um, it, Unity is great for prototyping because um, it's we're at a point where I can follow the YouTube or Udemy tutorial to make the core gameplay or make the core interactions. And now all I just got to bring in the OpenVR, the Unity XR toolkit, and then just drop the camera into the scene or, or place the camera where I want it, whether it's on the cockpit of the spaceship or whether it's in the middle of the, you know, architectural remodeling VR project, whatever thing like, like, but, but that's the thing. Like it's, it's, it's super, that's, that aspect is super easy. You know, yeah. if you if you have sort of the foundations laid out, um, so there's there's there's, it's not like it's nothing, but you know I'm seeing dreams and it's mind blowing. It's just mind blowing. I, I wanna I wanna follow up with another question, really quickly about because um, I think we're gonna, you know, and the funny thing is usually on this podcast, the rabbit hole stuff. We we leave it towards the second section of the show, but this time we flipped it. We inversed it. We <laughs> talked about everything not related to VR in the first half, and then the second <laughs> half we're talking about all VR and 3D. And uh, this is a question I've been meaning to sort of follow up with you on for a little while because you've been involved in photogametry for so long. Um, and my question, I think since the beginning has been... Like, what is the holy grail of photogametry? And, like, how was that? When, if I had asked, you know, Azad four years ago, you know, and I think I did ask you that question. What was the holy grail of photogametry back then? You mm. know, you gave me an answer. Um, I want to know if that answer has changed. Like, I have no recollection and I do not stand. I don't, I, I, I'm sorry. I have no idea what I might've said. Um, do you, do you remember? I mean, no, 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 but, uh, but, okay. but I'm curious. Sorry, we can come up with new answers. I, I, I can definitely, yeah, can do whatever give we you want. a better. Exactly. Um, 
yeah, I've learned a lot more about things <laughs> working with the. Uh, I mean, yeah, just just I guess over experience and stuff. I think what they it's so okay. So this whole idea of like capturing places and people and things in three D in volumetric form is certainly very compelling. And as the years go by, there's more and more interesting use cases that are coming up with it. And as the years go by, like more and more people are learning how to do it, how to capture things, how to process things, and then and finding out interesting things that they can do with that. Um, of course, the bottleneck has, has pretty much been, the bottleneck before I think used to be, like five, ten years ago, used to be more on the, the compute side. And now because of, again, gaming and VR and, and deep learning, um, our, you know, consumer PCs are pretty damn powerful. And you can process a lot of you know, photogrammetry data on it. Um, so the bottleneck is, is more on the education, on the documentation, on the tutorial side. Like how the hell do you do this sort of question? Um, how do you do this well? You know, for for every for whatever, like if you're into drones, if you look on YouTube, like how do you how do you how to fly it how to fly a Mavic cinematically? You'll find like thousands of results um, on like a very specific thing that you want to learn more about. That's very rare in photogrammetry today because it's still it's like slowly coming out of this like enterprise world uh, that was like these surveyors, the, these map makers. Um, just doing sort of like hard, hard sciences, sort of thing there. Um, and now the artists and the photographers are starting to get involved more. So that's that's really exciting. Um, the thing that I see that's happening, or that will happen with VR, is you'll see this like divergence in both. One sec. You'll see this divergence with um, phones becoming more powerful both on the camera side, perhaps more sensors like LiDAR, which the next iPhone will most likely have, um, and also on the processing side, like you can do a lot on the phone itself and also perhaps the cloud. Like So there's just a lot more that you can do on a phone or and there will be over the next five to ten years. Uh, but also the PC is not going away. Like the PCs are only getting, getting more powerful and the software for photogrammetry is also becoming more accessible. So the way I see things is like I'm really, really happy that mobile scanning is like growing and because that's just it's such a huge entry point for so many people. And at the end, you know, and if we talk about this again in 10 years, I'd say that like 99% of people that have ever done any sort of 3D scanning will have done it on their phone versus on a PC. Just the same way, um, I don't know, 99% of people that look at Instagram are also on a phone than they're logging onto Instagram.com on a PC and looking at it that way. Um, but the thing about PC photogrammetry is like it's it's I, I recommend people learning it the hard way, which is the PC side, because it gives you way more. Uh, first of all, you have more power at your disposal. Um, you can just process a lot, like more detailed scans. You can. Um, the thing that I like about it is. If you learn how to use reality capture, which is like this, you know, the, the kind of the industry standard um, uh, photogrammetry software, you could then, if you learn how to take pictures with whatever camera, you can use any camera 
uh, data from any camera. So that could be from a cell phone, that can be from a DSLR, that can be from a drone, that can be from a, uh, a satellite, and that can be from a plane. They're just photos, right? If, if, if you learn and you have the software, you can just throw in pictures. And if they're ordered correctly, as in they have enough overlap and some parallax between the, the images, then you can create a 3D scan of whatever that was taking a picture of. Like, so to me, like, I'm, I like to sh teach people how to do something that they can then like do a lot more with versus like teaching a very specific tool and a very specific type. So, um, oh, test, test, test. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Okay. Just video went away. Um, like the documentation I know is so lacking for, for doing really good photogrammetry using a camera that you have, which most likely will be a, a cell phone and a PC. If you have, if you're a VR person, you, you have a PC that can process photogrammetry. Like you have a, you know, an NVIDIA GPU and, and a decent processor. Um, and so, yeah, I've learned so much through the internet because of free tutorials for the most part that I want to contribute to that and to help share the skill to others and see what they interesting things that they can come up with. And at the same time, there's a lot of people and a lot of companies that are, see the potential with mobile photogrammetry and as they should, because that's, that's where people are going to be. That's where it's going to be the first entry entry point into it. So um, I just see them both kind of growing together and hopefully they, they help feed into each other. There's, there's huge benefits that, you know, slow PC photogrammetry could could um, get you uh, you know benefits that mobile has, which is like real time feedback. Like as you're scanning something, you want to be able to see what the hell you scanned, how well you scanned it. That doesn't exist with PC photogrammetry, um, and vice versa. Like f phones are limited in the the mesh resolution and texture quality that they can generate. Uh, maybe that will get better because the phones get better, and also maybe like clock processing gets better. I don't know. There's just there's a lot happening there. So the holy grail, um, I, I guess I, I don't. I guess an easier answer for that is like the phone. Maybe a phone with like really uh, like an iPhone. Yeah, like lidar, lidar, and a camera with like really direct, like access. Like developers have actual access to the sensors themselves, and not just Apple's like kind of uh, process data that they provide in ARKit today. Um, that will definitely be that will give some really good results. Um, that with a lot of YouTube uh, tutorials. <laughs> that's the that's the holy grail. <laughs> better sensors, yeah, better processing and more documentation. Will just like suddenly anyone can like dude, you anyone can learn anything if there's a guide for it. Like that's it really really is that simple like with any like so many things can be learned by just following a step-by-step -step guide. Um, so I I'm just very <laughs> I'm just optimistic about things like that. And I'm excited for that. But I don't know if you noticed me bopping up and down just a second ago. It's because I got a peak. So hold <laughs> there you go. for the next uh, one. Well, minute, I got, and I'm going to follow up with the last question because I really need to okay. ask you this one last question, okay? Okay. I'll be one minute. Right. I'll be right back. Okay. I'm back. Hello. Hello. Hi there. I'm back from releasing the Kraken. I'm gonna release. I'm gonna ask you the last question, just to follow up, because I think the um, in terms of mobile photogrammetry and this, you know, 
impending future that I don't think it's a whether, it's an if, it's a when. Um, we have these capabilities. What do you think regular people are going to be using it for? Once we have, let's say we have 5G. <clears throat> Ubiquitous 5G. Let's say we have um, good enough processing on the phones or on the back end on the, on the cloud that allows for people to do really, really big scans um, really quickly. What yeah. is the... In my mind, is like, maybe this is the wrong way of thinking about it, but what is the TikTok of photogametry yeah. look like? You sure, know? sure. No, it's it's definitely it's a question I've asked and I've like been kind of like stumbled by stumped by it. I'm like, man, who who like? Yeah, in my mind, it was like this is kind of limited in terms of who it attracts you know, what they want to do with it. But then I was talking with Alban. I actually had a, a an interview with him, a podcast album from, he's the CEO of Sketchfab. So it's basically, you know, the where it's the site online that everyone uploads their 3D models into. And it's also become like the biggest kind of photogrammetry uh, uh, site to explore intrigue scans. And like, man, the stuff that people upload there is just <laughs> everything, you know, and, and, of course, a lot of it isn't that great, but the thing about use cases and interesting stuff, it's like it all, it's really hard to like think about or it's really hard to plan that in advance and to kind of do a top down like these are the five areas I see growing and I will, you know, we shall cultivate these five verticals. And it's like, man, people are weird, you know, <laughs> like if you, this, this is why I'm a huge advocate for just like putting out tutorials and documentation for people. Cause if they learn it and, and if a lot of people learn something, they'll just experiment and keep experimenting and weird shit will happen. And we'll think like, here's a perfect example of how unplanned this sort of stuff is. The whole game we're making, puzzling places. You know, five years ago, if anyone was asked, "What's the what is one interesting use case of photogrammetry that nobody has ever thought of?" It's like, yeah, a 3D jigsaw puzzle maybe is like one of the, is that that they, nobody would really have thought of. Um, and in retrospect, it's like, oh, of course that's like so obvious. Of course you would want you could cut it up into puzzle-looking shapes and you can put them together and stuff. Um, so it's just it's out of happy accidents that things come up and. For happy accidents to happen, you just need a lot of people doing it. And the more that is, the more happy accidents will happen. So mm. yeah, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I hope other people find more interesting things to do than the stuff that I'm into with photogrammetry. I don't know. I, I I approach it as just, you know, as a next step of photography and I like to take pictures of pretty landscapes and interesting buildings and stuff. And uh so it's kind of you know. That's shaped around that, and people are some people are really into food photography, right? And so they really love scanning their food. Also, um, Alban is one of those. Um, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to scan my food so much. Maybe, maybe I will in the future, but <laughs> um, yeah. So just more people need to tr uh, more need if more people start to do it, which they will, because it's going to be easier to do it on your phone. Um, things will come out of it, and it'll be. Daisies and unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> well, my body is ready for that exciting future. Um, yeah, Mr. Azad Balabanian, I um, I think you already know this. The world knows this, but you, sir, are a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality, as 
as uh, always. Thank you, Zach. Yes. Um, I can't. My hat to you, Mr. Chris Miranda. <laughs> I do what I can. Uh, <laughs> thank you again, man. I, I just, I'm so excited uh, for what you're doing. Um, how can people stay in touch and follow up and check out your work and all that good stuff? Yeah, let me plug the game, Puzzling Places, look it up. If you got a quest, find us on SideQuest. We also have a Patreon now where we're releasing a new puzzle every single week. So if you're into puzzling on a consistent... Yeah, if you just like to chill out on a couch and play some puzzles, uh, it's a really fun... It's a good app for that. Um, and then if you're interested, yeah, in sort of more VR podcasts, uh, yeah, check out the Research VR podcast um, and everywhere and... Um, and me, I'm on Twitter at Azaducks. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Bam. Good, sir. I'm going to stop recording now. <laughs>